In the name of our creating God, renewing Savior, and sustaining Spirit. Amen. When Sarah, Becky, and I first discussed the possibility of my preaching sometime, I equated it with my fear of heights. I am profoundly afraid of being more than about eight feet off the ground. How high is this pulpit? Since I was a child, I have repeatedly ascended towers, organ lofts, and mountains in an attempt to conquer this fear. So it should be that perhaps someday I might attempt to preach and conquer this fear. Last summer, I sent Sarah and Becky a photo of me atop an alp while in Salzburg, Austria. And on a recent trip, I ascended another tower to get a good view of Niagara Falls. With the long stretch between Sarah's departure and the arrival of our new rector, Nancy Hagner, it seemed like the right timing to offer to climb that mountain of a pulpit and offer my thoughts. The fact that August 6th, the Feast of the Transfiguration, was one of the open dates, it seemed like the right time. We are told in today's Gospel reading that Jesus and two of his disciples climbed a mountain to pray. They went there to get away from the crowds for some undistracted time, alone with God. While they were praying, Jesus began to change and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, the disciples saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. They saw his glory. When our good friend Peter, who was always stepping into it, never quite getting it right, offered to enshrine the three of them, a cloud overshadowed them. Then a voice says, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Okay, so we have this scene of Jesus shining, almost glowing, with Moses who gave the law, and Elijah, the great prophet and defender of the faith, appearing out of nowhere. And then this cloud and a voice commanding the disciples to listen to what Jesus is saying. Not long ago, we heard Becky preach a sermon about listening and how hard it is to be open enough to listen to what God is saying. Reading on in our gospel story, we are told that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah had been speaking of Jesus' departure. Perhaps the disciples were not grasping the importance of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, important events for the incarnate God. The transfiguration would shake them into seeing Jesus as something more than just a great teacher. I wonder how much they were transfigured by what happened there on that mountain. In our epistle today, Peter admonishes us to be attentive to this voice as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. These incredible images of the light of Christ not only shining, but glowing from our very inmost selves remind us that this Transfiguration mountaintop experience isn't just a one-time glowing to remind us of Jesus' divinity, but it is what it means to be a person of Christ, to bring this light out to the world. Here is where, if I was a different person, I might have us sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm not that person. I will, however, remind us of the words of the Nunc Dimittis, in which Simeon tells us that Jesus is to be the light to enlighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of God's people, Israel. Our light shines in the darkness whenever we smile or lend a hand or offer food or drink or warmth or when we do any of those things that we are commanded to do. In the Old Testament lesson, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai after speaking with God and his face shone so much so that after he spoke of the commandments, he veiled his face because his glowing terrified the people. When I am first working with our youngest choir members, I teach them the prayer for musicians and artists in the Book of Common Prayer, found on page 819, prayer number 17. Yes, go ahead. Take out those dusty BCPs and turn to this prayer. Page 819, prayer number 17. In it, we pray for glimpses of God's beauty and for us to be worthy for it to be unveiled forevermore. We also pray that those who, through their crafts of art and music, may help God's people pray and praise in our common worship. This idea of a glimpse of God's beauty has captured and inspired this particular church musician so that often when I talk with singers about making a musical phrase better, I talk of striving for this goal of a glimpse of God's beauty for ourselves and for those who listen. Music often provides me with such a glimpse. Sometimes I find it in the marriage of poetry and music in a hymn, or the complexity of a Bach fugue, or in a lyrical Mendelssohn anthem, or in music by Byrd or Dissler, or the hundreds of other musicians over the centuries who have attempted to find God's beauty in music. Sometimes for me, leading a congregation in the singing of a hymn is as large a glimpse into God's beauty as I have ever gotten. Herbert Howells wrote an anthem, Mine Eyes for Beauty Pine, to a text by Robert Seymour Bridges that equates God's beauty with God's grace. Isn't one of the most beautiful things that can happen to us grace or forgiveness? Psalm 130 begins, Out of the depths I cry to thee. But it ends, with God there is plenteous redemption. We often think of those Ten Commandments that Moses delivered as punitive, a hard road to hoe. But really, weren't they God's way of pointing to a better way to live in community? A detailed list of how to avoid hurting each other and how to show kindness? Today, we like everything to be put in the positive. Maybe a future sermon could be the Ten Commandments in today's Make It Positive Speak. Jesus simplified it for us, speaking of two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. One thing I have so much trouble remembering is that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to try. There is a big difference. 
The real beauty of God's grace is that it is unending and limitless. In the old service of evening prayer, there is a word in the general thanksgiving referring to God's love as inestimable. I love that word, as hard as it is to say. God's love is unable to be estimated, calculated, or factored in any way. Mercy and forgiveness are overflowing with nothing more expected from us than our asking for it. It is so easy to be confused and distracted from God by the fullness of our lives. God's word of love has to compete with the constant bombardment of confusing messages, stress, and responsibilities. Going up to the mountaintop was where Jesus and the disciples chose as a place to get away from distractions. In our opening collect, we pray to be delivered from the disquietude of this world. Sarah Connor often encouraged me to think more about seeking silence in my life. I think this sounds like a good idea, but it does not come easy to a musician whose life is filled with sound. How can we listen for God's beauty, God's mercy, God's grace to be revealed to us? Other than hearing it in music, I think we have to listen and watch others in our community to find God in each other. And we, too, therefore, need to be the image of God for others. What do we do with this vision of glory, this mountaintop experience? How does this change us? As a choir director, I experience disappointment when one of the singers is not present. To put it in the positive, I am happiest when all the singers are present. I know of several of our singers who are also relieved when that particularly strong singer in the section walks into rehearsal. We actually need every voice in the ensemble to balance and blend and to be sure to get all the right notes. You in the congregation might not realize that the person who sits at the other end of your pew or across the aisle looks forward to your smile or to your voice every Sunday. Your presence makes a difference in the lives of those around you. The things we do make a difference. All the things that go into our worship and community life here at Trinity, altar guild, lems, lectors, flower arrangers, People in the pews, preacher, celebrant, gospeler, coffee hour hosts, choir, every one of us all contribute to the communities being fed and nourished by word and sacraments every Sunday. But we also know that it doesn't end here with our prayers and praises. Our mountaintop experience revives us, strengthens us, and inspires us to go out and do great things. Perhaps to smile and be friendly to the person ahead of us or behind us in a line. Or to take a minute or two to ask how someone is and really mean it. Maybe you get fired up for a great cause like the Be Safe program, or Walk for Hunger, or the Pine Street Inn, or a peace initiative, or even a political rally. Maybe you just remember to take a deep breath and smile when you encounter that person. One thing I wrestle with and pray about 
is the fact that before I was born, my country chose to drop a rain of destruction on the city of Hiroshima on the day set aside to study the Transfiguration. This is something I don't know if I will ever fully understand or know how to respond to. I do know that when I finally got up the courage to discuss this event with my Japanese organ teacher and friend, she responded with such incredible forgiveness. I will never forget that moment. Each one of us can be the voice of God's grace and forgiveness. How we respond to one another can make a huge difference beyond just a one-on-one -on -one interaction. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus shine and heard the voice commanding them to listen. Initially, they kept silent. But eventually, they told their story of the presence of Christ in their lives and how it changed them. They were transfigured, as we acknowledge in changing their names from disciples to apostles. And then they changed the world. Are we changed here today? And what would happen if we all went out and told our story of how Christ has transfigured us? Amen.